Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. Last year alone, we had 13 companies that defaulted on their financial maintenance company. Insurance companies have embraced new ideas. Cost of capitals has gone up higher. It's critically important what's happening with the jewelry market for gold. The Fed's been trying to fight inflation with these rate hikes. The timing is just perfect. Once the market stabilizes, you should start to see an influx of deal flow. My name's Stuart Foley. I'll be your host. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today's topic is actually a reverse inquiry. Today, we're going to talk about CRE and CRE distressed investing. And the idea for this podcast came from one of our executive council members who um, had some questions about it. And I reached out to our member community and asked for some volunteers. And we have three today. So I'm very happy to be joined by Tony Crooks of AEW. Tony, welcome. Can you give me your title and the name of your high school and the high school mascot? How about that? Sure. Thanks, Stuart. Um, Tony Crooks, I went to Andover High School up in Andover, Massachusetts. They were the Golden Warriors. There you go. And I'm a managing director at AEW. Good deal. We're also joined by Jack Gay at uh, Nuveen. Jack, welcome. Same question. Can you give your, your title in uh, high school? and your mascot. Yeah, hi Stuart, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. I am a senior managing director and the global head of the debt business for Nuveen Real Estate. I grew up in Armonk, New York. I uh, went to high school, the, the uh, local public high school, Byron Hills High School, and we were the Bobcats. Nice. All right, I'm gonna answer this question. You're gonna get, you guys are gonna be impressed. And f- last, but certainly not least, we're joined by Reed Liffman at Angelo Gordon. Reed, welcome. Uh, same question, just uh, your title. Uh, high school and the name of your mascot. Thanks for having me. Uh, title: I'm the head of U.S. real estate uh, at Angel Gordon High School, outside of Philadelphia, Lower Moreland, and Lion. Your was our mascot. Sweet. I went to uh, Windsor High School, Imperial, Missouri, and uh, we were the Owls. It's hard to be a tough guy when your mascot is the Owls. So I'm not gonna. I don't want to go into who suggested this, but. This is CIO who said he'd like to get, get his arms around the CRE space. And his first question comes up and says, there have been some large defaults in CRE recently and expectations are for some more going forward. What's driving this and how should allocators be thinking about it from a risk management and opportunity perspective, right? So whoever wants to take off on that, Jack, I'm just going to, I'm looking your direction. So would you kick us off and then we'll see if anybody else wants to chime in as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think maybe that one of the key points of the question is is large defaults, and you know, really what we've seen is sort of some headline uh, defaults with very large loans defaulting, and with the illiquidity that's existing in the market right now, the larger size of the loan it, it's less liquid. But if you look sort of just statistically where we are, we're certainly way behind default levels that you would have seen in the GFC, and and you know I think we could all debate, and perhaps that that's building, but but default levels are far behind what we had seen in the last downturn, um, and I'd I'd say some of it that that you're driving. I mean, clearly the the number one reason is you've got rising interest rates, and that's affecting values, and so that with the the illiquidity in the market, it's hard to know where values are, and sponsors are trying to decide whether they should invest new money into existing properties with with existing capital stacks to sort of protect those investments because it's hard to pin down value. And then, you know, I'm sure a theme that we'll hit on is is where it's most prevalent 
would be in the office market because there's on, on top of sort of the interest rate headwinds that all of real estate is sort of adjusting to, and not just real estate, but all, all asset classes are adjusting to this higher rate environment. Office has the added secular challenge of return to work and what office demands will be. And, you know, tenants are trying to figure out what kind of commitments they should make to, to space leasing going forward. So office has certainly been you know more of a headwind on the revenue side and, and the market itself is trying to adjust to these higher rates and, you know, certainly more un, a more uncertain economy. Tony, Breed, anything you want to add on, on that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would echo that. I mean, it's a payment shock we're dealing with. If you look at roughly speaking, rates are up 250 to 350 basis points, depending on what, what asset class. So office is in a special category with special challenges. We'll probably talk about it. But that payment shock is reverberating through the entire real estate industry. And even in favor asset classes are going to have to deal with materially higher cost of, of financing. A lot of things were done with relatively short-term debt over the past couple of years. And so that's just going to take some time to adjust. There's a a significant amount of uh, maturity coming over. I think the number is a trillion dollars over 23, 24 combined. So a lot of exposure there, 150, 200 billion of that is office. Again, we'll talk about that. But cost of debt has moved up. And in many cases, revenues aren't where you need to be to refinance. That's the big thing we're seeing. Tony, are you you good there? Or do you want to... From our standpoint, you know, office is the black sheep today. But you know, there's no liquidity right now on the debt side, on capital market side, or, or just not enough to really uh, take care of those maturities outside, even outside of office, right? And so, you know, we're seeing an environment where, you know, most of the debt maturing over the next two years, if the banking system doesn't write itself quickly, we could be in a severe credit crisis for commercial real estate. And the follow-on question to, from our reverse inquiry is, where in the capital structure do you see opportunity and why? The question is, do you see opportunity here? And can you talk a little bit about, we can just kind of go in reverse order. Tony, if you want to take this, uh, the question is specifically senior mes preferred or equity. Is there a particular part of the capital structure that you're focused on or you think where you think there's opportunity? Yeah, I think there's going to be opportunities all throughout the capital structure. It's at these points in the cycle that we normally see the widest opportunity set. We haven't had much dislocation stress for the last 10 years when interest rates don't uh, have a cost and there's a, a bunch of money printing. Typically, uh, malinvestment happens. And uh, we've been building that up for 10 to 12 years. And with the capital market dislocation, you know, we're going to see opportunity sets across all the commercial real estate and all throughout the capital structure. I agree with that. The only other thing going back to the financing uh, crisis that Tony spoke about. It's important to note that commercial banks, what's going on in commercial banks, banks account for, uh, even though there's a fair amount of specialty finance and, and non-bank financing of real estate, depending whose numbers you look at, banks account for a lot of the financing, 60, 70%. And a lot of that comes from smaller banks, under $250 billion. Proportionally, a lot more of their assets our real estate. If you look at the largest banks, the you know the huge banks, four or five percent might be, except for one case where it's significantly higher. But in a typical regional bank, sub two hundred billion dollar bank, twenty twenty five percent. And given what's you know the pressures that they're feeling, that's another reason, in addition to the rising rate, that you're seeing a, a constriction in in financing availability. And kind of following up here, you mentioned office. Uh, the the question reads. 
Are there specific property types and geographies that you're concerned about? The property type we've identified that you're concerned about is, is office. Are there geographies that you're concerned about some more than others? Who, whoever wants to go, Jack, you, you were out for a second. So you want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I may just add just on the, the opportunity side. I mean, we, we would see probably greater opportunities right now in the debt space versus sort of equity or, or prep equity. And, you know, the reason is that the uncertainty in, in, in the valuations are being caused by higher debt costs, right? Partly higher spreads, but partly higher base rates. So the cost of debt has gone up, which if you're making new loans as a lender, you're getting paid much better relative value than you've seen in a long, long time and really all throughout the capital stack. You know, this will probably lead to overshooting on the downside in terms of property valuations, which which may lead to great opportunities or greater opportunities in the equity space eventually. But but right now, you know, I would say the opportunity is is really more in the debt space because that pricing has adjusted and equity is still trying to find its footing, if you will, based on this new reality of, of a higher cost of debt. Flipping just to the geography piece, I mean, you know, look, not all markets are the same. We've been been alluding a little bit to it on the, the sector side. Certainly not all sectors are the same, but some of our cities are more challenged by things like crime and those kinds of things that social issues that have sort of developed in a post-COVID environment. So they will have sort of the hurdles to overcome in the real estate markets and perhaps on top of the hurdles to overcome in terms of cities and, and, and local municipalities getting their hands around crime. So, you know, ones where you've seen bigger instances of that, and you could throw out, you know, maybe it's a San Francisco or Chicago or Portland, that, that some of those cities are having more challenges to overcome, you know, just around the city itself on top of the real estate headwinds. And how has or have the underwriting and terms changed or how have they changed in CRE lending? Can you talk a little bit about that that component of it? Yeah, sure. The, you know, the bank surveys are out on a regular basis that, that talk about constrictive lending environments. And there's a, a lot of sort of preservation of capital, if you will. So if you have less capital to lend, you're going to lend it on more conservative terms. You're going to haircut your, your valuations because there's more uncertainty around that. So you're going to, you're going to lend at lower loan to values. You're going to have uh, stricter underwriting in terms of, of where you see valuations on assets. Uh, and you're going to be able to get more structure in, in, in the deals, whether it be reserves or guarantees or whatever it is that, that you may be able to structure into the loan. So it's really across the board right now, given the lack of liquidity, that all the terms that you're seeing in new loans going out on a more conservative basis, lower leverage, better protections. And if we're talking about distress, the last question that from our reverse inquiry comes to what's the potential size of the problem? Reader Tony, you want to take a swing at that or... I think it's going to be very large, right? Uh, depending on how deep the cycle is, you know, there's there's some estimates of over five trillion dollars of commercial real estate debt out there, and when you look at the capital available on the sidelines, uh, most of the core capital is out of the market today, whether those vehicles uh, have redemption queues or whatnot. And so, the capital available outside of foreign capital, the capital available is roughly two to three hundred billion dollars, and that's a wide range. I realize, and it's a lot of money still, but at the end of the day, it could be just a drop in the bucket or how much capital is needed to restructure the $5 trillion of debt outstanding. And so I think from my perspective, I really, I really think it is a leverage asset class at the end of the day. And so until credit growth can expand, we really cannot find a bottom in pricing and values. And so you, you know, I have that chart right in front of me, uh, Jack. I keep it right on there. It's really uh, the percentage of banks tightening 
credit standards uh, in commercial real estate. And it works almost every single time that until that gets back to zero, right, until they are expanding credit, uh, loosening terms and credit, that the market, the commercial real estate market cannot find a bottom. And that's being shown. Uh, the transaction activity is way off. I mean, first quarter 23 was probably down 50% year over year. There is a stalemate, bid ass spread. So not a ton of getting done in equity right now. So I'm just kind of kind of start with some of the kind of dive in here. So Tony, one of your one of your points was you said when looking at distressed CRE, focus should be on identifying broken capital structures, not broken assets. Do you would you want to elaborate a little bit on that? So we we are not big believers in buying distressed real estate. Typically it's distressed for a reason. You can't pick up a building and move it to a better corner or a different market. And typically, the distressed real estate requires a large capital investment, and the duration to fix that real estate typically is a lot longer than we can underwrite uh, results. And so I, I think from our standpoint, we're big believers in buying into real estate through distressed capital structures. And now is the point of the cycle where we're seeing a significant amount of those. You know, The last 10 years, we haven't seen much distress or dislocation because of the amount of capital uh, and capital flows to commercial real estate. But I think that the opportunity set for us going forward will be more on distressed capital structures. That's interesting. So, and this is for you, Reed. Given the macro backdrop, right, you're saying that alpha, not beta, will likely drive returns going forward. Can you expand on that, please, and, and let our audience know kind of how you're thinking about how to actually make money here? Sure. So uh, I just want to say, first of all, I agree with Tony that what we call it here, cheap is not a business plan. So there are the potential for a lot of value traps that you want to avoid. My point on you know question is, how do you make money going forward? If you look over the last five to 10 years, sector selection has really played a role. Now, if you talk to us, we all probably like the same sectors, but we are coming through a period where if you put a position on, even as a market buyer, in multi or industrial and just had the position, market fundamentals, capital flows, and cap rates, you made a lot of money. And that's because we've been in a secular decline in rates. If you assume that secular decline is over, how do you make money? The way to make money is you need to be in the right assets, the assets with tailwinds, avoid the ones with headwinds. And I think we would there'd be broad agreement on what those are. So you don't really bring anything unique there. And then it's going to be, how can you execute value creation at the asset level? It's going to be much more of a grinded out kind of business where you're having to execute. It's not going to be buying in size, putting relatively cheap leverage on, and then you know the flows of capital just are going to drive your returns. I think that's what's different about where we find ourselves today. And so, Jack, I'm going to come to you. With the pullback of bank lending, who is lending? Uh, right now in the CRE market. Can you talk about that? I mean, we've talked about illiquidity. There's got to be some liquidity from someplace. Yeah, sure. If you think about where debt capital comes in the real estate markets, there's really sort of five major sources. And the banks is by far the biggest one, making up 45 plus percent of commercial real estate lending. So the banks are contracting and they're out. Public markets are uh, choppy. So CMBS is another 10, 12% or so of the market and, and, and they're out or certainly less active. There's debt funds and mortgage rates, and, and that's another you know, 10, 11% or so. And, and depending on who they are, they, they may have liquidity constraints. Open-ended vehicles certainly have more liquidity constraints right now, so they're slower. But if you look at who, who still can lend, the insurance companies 
generally have strong balance sheets. They're generally unlevered lenders. So they're just doing senior whole loans and not levering their book. So they they would have healthy allocation still. And obviously this uh, this audience would be familiar with that. But insurance companies will, will still, you know, they get through their uh, their allocations this year, which should be similar to, to previous years. And then the agencies, clearly, that is, is a very big part of lending. And it's targeted towards multifamily, but that's helping to prop up capital uh, in the multifamily sector. But they're Allocations are 70 plus billion each, and, and they will likely get through their uh, allocations as well. So healthy, I'd say the, the healthiest sources would be the insurance companies and the, and the agencies at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, the insurance companies find themselves in a similar situation with, with just business lending, right? I mean, the banks aren't lending there either. And you've seen a lot of direct private credit firms that are looking at the insurance industry and one of our podcast guests, uh, Phil Totolo at Mass Mutual, said that he thought that insurance companies would be a significant driver of economic growth in the U.S. by being that non-bank lender. So, Tony, turning to you, where does AEW see opportunities here? Yeah, um, I think that from our standpoint, there is, and, and, and it happens really uh, at, at uh, certain parts of the cycle, which we think we're going into. We certainly see core assets repricing. And they've repriced significantly since last year. And as Reed said, you know, it's not a beta market anymore. You just can't buy any industrial building and expect to make your returns. You have to be discerning. You have to really understand location, understand uh, demand drivers in that location much more specifically to that asset class or to that sector than you had in the past. And I think from our standpoint, you know, a repriced core opportunity where you have individual assets repricing quickly because the sellers need some sort of liquidity for whatever reason. We've already started to see that. And I do think in size, as much as there's no really debt market in scale today, if you need to sell a large asset today, you are going to have to take a discount. And so for us, uh, having larger amounts of capital availability and pools of capital will be beneficial to executing that strategy just because there is no lending market today. And so you most likely will have to buy that asset unlevered. And so we're going to need a sizable discount for that if you're trying to sell anything in scale. Reed, can you, uh, would you care to comment on where you're seeing opportunities as well at Angela Gordon? Yeah, I think Tony uh, explained it well. I think this is a part of the cycle where you actually be able to buy higher quality assets than in the value add space. If you look at the core market, it is pretty much sidelined, and we haven't talked about it yet, but the big issue in the core market is valuations. A lot of those are open-ended, and there's queues right now to get in. And just to give a sense, if you look at the REIT market, which you know tends to be forward-leaning, probably down about 25% overall in 2022, I think the year-end NACRI Odyssey, which is a widely used index, was, was, was up in 2022. Six or seven percent. So public markets down twenty five percent. Nay creep up uh, six or seven. I think it's come down a little bit in early twenty three, but the marks have not caught up to reality yet in the core market in the large segment, the open ended, and they need to look, generate liquidity. People are going to be reluctant to want to enter until you get those valuations more in line. So you could see some selling in the core market, and they generally own higher quality assets. And for that matter, some of the NTRs or, or non-traded REITs that are out there may need to generate liquidity. They tend to own pretty high quality assets overall. And so that will be an opportunity 
uh, just to capitalize on illiquidity, you may need, as Tony mentioned, to be willing to buy it uh, with either lower leverage or temporarily no leverage and, uh, and take that exposure. But I do think that is an opportunity. So just kind of as we wrap here, I'd like to go around and, and have everybody just, what is the one takeaway that you'd want investors in CRE to take away from this podcast? Jack, I'll start with you. What do you think the most important takeaway is here today? So I think there are opportunities to make new loans in, in CRE debt. The, uh, as we talked about earlier, debt pricing has changed dramatically over the last year or so, both in the base rates as well as in the, the spread. So a lot of opportunities in terms of getting paid for that credit exposure, obviously a little bit more underlying risk out there in terms of pinning down the values, but you're getting paid really handsomely for credit risk right now. And this illiquidity premium that exists today, and it's hard to pick exactly when it will end, it will go away at some point. So if you're a long-term investor and, and you can lend into today's market because you have available capital, you're going to get paid for the, the credit risk that's out there, but also this illiquidity premium that, that you're able to book today. And eventually that will subside, markets will normalize. But again, very good time to be a, a lender right now if you've got capital to deploy. Outstanding. Uh, Reed, same question. What's the takeaway today? It should be an interesting time to put money to work. You're going to be to need to be nimble and uh, as you assess opportunities. How we've made money over the last 10 years is not going to work going forward. Really good. That's terrific. And Tony, how about you? Yeah, I, I would say that the biggest thing is to be patient, right? Don't rush into anything. Don't uh, fire sale anything. If you have capital, the fundamentals are not are not awful in commercial real estate. It may be they may be poor in some sectors, but you know we see some good long-term secular uh, fundamental demand and demographics that uh, should play well into commercial real estate going forward. Listen, capital markets are pretty bad right now and pretty shut down, uh, but they always recover. They may look differently after the recovery, but I think I think from a, a standpoint of uh, just taking off what Reed said, focus on high-quality real estate at a good basis in sectors that we believe will perform better uh, over the long term in terms of demand and demographics, and you'll be able to produce your returns. I have gotten a tremendous education on CRE from the three of you today, and I really want to thank you very much for being on. We've been joined today by Tony Crooks at AEW, Jack Gay at Nuveen, and Reed Liffman at Angela Gordon. Gentlemen, thanks for being on. Thanks, Stuart. Thank thanks you. Thanks very much, sir. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for podcasts, please shoot me a note at podcast at insuranceaum.com. Please like us and review us on Apple Podcasts. We certainly appreciate it. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the insuranceaum.com podcast. Thank you.